Welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, Movie Shark DeBlore. And this is Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line uh, with filmmakers, authors, uh, stage, music. Uh, we're branching out more and more as all the different media intersect and, you know, cross-populate. Last week, I think one of our best shows, thrilled to have children's book author Nancy Ann Gautier and... New York Times bestseller Steve Alton, both whose uh, books are now being made into films. I can't wait to see with Steve's. Having seen In the Heart of the Sea this weekend, uh, I can't wait to see what Eli Roth does to bring his blockbuster book Meg to the big screen for Warner Brothers using CGI to create a megalodon shark. So, but today, for those of you keeping track and everybody out there I know has been counting it down, Today is the Star Wars premiere, and as everybody knows, it is bigger than the Oscars, and that is no understatement. Taking up three theaters in Hollywood, the Dolby, the El Capitan, the TLC Chinese Theater, all of Hollywood Boulevard from La Brea to Highland is closed down. It's all tented, um, so we don't know what's going on in there. But the film is out this week. I'm seeing it tomorrow. Uh, but in the meantime, big show for you today. For those of you that tune in and watch, we have tons of Star Wars accoutrement sitting here. We have the Disney Infinity Kylo Ren. We have the Google Box Star Wars The Force Awakens virtual, virtual vision viewfinder. Viewfinder for the 21st century. And all kinds of cool things that you can pick up anywhere, including a great activity pack uh, that Disney's made available to press that we can uh, upload on websites so that you can download it. And uh, it's fun, coloring, crayons. Uh, I'm sure that Jordan and Brian are just waiting to rip open the, the things with the Star Wars crayons and start coloring. But that'll come later in the show. Uh, big, big, big day, as promised. You're going to hear from last week's Super Secret press event with the stars and the creators of Star Wars The Force Awakens. But let me tell you who's coming up today. A real treat. We have the visionary director and producer Timur Bekmanmakov. Uh, I can never get Timur's name right. Bekmanbatov with us today live. He'll be talking about a project that he's heavily involved with. Timur's known for mentoring uh for doing a lot of mentoring with up-and-coming filmmakers and, and new talent. We saw this earlier in the year, uh, what he did with Unfriended, with Leo Gabriades and Nelson Greaves. He saw vision in their ideas and in talking, and he got behind them and executive produced Unfriended. He is now, he was impressed by the work that Marja Lewis Ryan did on stage uh, with a play called One in the Chamber. And he came on board and has taken Marja under his wing, uh, and he is presenting, financing, producing her new play that is out called A Good Family, which is also going to be made into a film uh, under 
Timor's banner. So we're going to have Timor and Marja both with us today. Very excited about that. And I'm hoping I can get Timor to spill a few more secrets about Ben-Hur since it's in post-production. But first, what everybody wants to hear, Star Wars. A lot of chatter going on last week. Chatter without divulging anything. But did manage to glean a few things from the talent at the super secret press event for Star Wars The Force Awakens. And of course, who better to start with than our beloved Han Solo, Harrison Ford, who talks about why he came back to do Han Solo. It's because it's what I do. It's what I like to do. It's what's fun for me. Um, and um, and uh, I had a chance to work with people that I really admire doing something that uh, I thought was going to be fun and which actually turned out to be fun. Um, and to work with JJ, whose uh, work I had really admired and long known about. And uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And despite having a door fall on him, it was still fun. That's the most amazing part. And it tells you what a real professional uh, Harrison is. And the look on his face, as you'll see on the video with some of the pictures uh, that Jordan will insert in the, in the video edit, he is truly happy. Truly happy. You see the joy uh, when he talks about returning to play Han Solo. And, you know, was there ever any doubt, you know, what is it about, besides his love of the character and the franchise, everybody who knows Harrison Ford knows there has to be story, there has to be something to grab him, there has to be something worthwhile to say in a part, which is one reason that the Indiana Jones 5 movie is, they haven't come up with a script yet that is enticing. So they're working on that. But apparently J.J. Abrams came up with something enticing that Harrison talks about. It's uh, gratifying uh, to be asked to be part of this. Uh, there was an uh, interesting um, story to tell for the, through the character. Um, it's always nice uh, to anticipate working in something that you know people will have an appetite for. Uh, this is not a crapshoot. This is this is a big casino, and it's fun to play uh, with these toys again. It, it, it's been a great experience. Well, you know, Harrison is one of the two real veterans coming back to a legendary role, Carrie Fisher being the other. Of course, we have Peter Mayhew, who is reprising his role as Chewbacca. Anthony Daniels is back. He is now the one actor who has been in all of the films, as well as C-3PO. Um, very, very exciting. But the two fit, and of course, Mark Hamill is back, but Mark Hamill is very hush-hush, and nobody's letting us even see Mark Hamill at press events. So it'll be exciting to see what happens with him. But in the meantime, the two real faces that we love that stand out are that of Han Solo and Princess Leia. So getting back into the character, you know, it takes a lot. But how do you step, how do you bring 
step back into something after 40 years. And for Harrison Ford, it's all about the clothes. It seemed easy to come back uh, to the character. Um, clothes make the man. I had walked more than a mile in those boots. Um, I was uh, uh, interested in the in the the, the the described path of the character. I thought there was uh, an interesting. Um, bit of business for the character to do and I had been I'd been having a real good time with J.J. Abrams talking about it and, and getting ready uh, uh, for the adventure of filming so I was it, it was it was easy well somebody who had some interesting thoughts on getting back into character is Carrie Fisher talking about being Princess Leia. I'm the custodian of Princess Leia, so I never got out of character, and I wondered if that would be noticed. No, uh, but I, <laughs> I was very nervous. Just, it's been, you know, 40 years for other people. In the, no, it's been a long time, and, uh, and I don't like looking at myself at this age in a large way, so that was scary. And remain so. so. And we've only seen one snippet of Carrie as Princess Leia in the trailers thus far. An interesting thing that she did come out with uh, during the press event last week, talking about costuming. And we'll get to J.J. To Abrams talking about costuming in a little bit. But uh, her outfit, it is truly beautiful, and it was on display. And uh, there are photos of it that I think uh, Jordan is going to be sticking in this week's video. Uh, that I took. Absolutely stunning. She said it looks like an elongated gas station attendant outfit, but it's done with a beautiful, beautiful blue moray silk that is absolutely gorgeous. So be on the lookout for that when you see the film. But for Carrie, you know, this is Star Wars is a generational thing. You hear on the news right now, all of these people that have been coming back, they've been camping out on the street for weeks. This is what they do when a new Star Wars film comes out, be it the original trilogy, be it the, the prequel trilogy, or now. They get together, and it truly is a galactic family. So Carrie Fisher talked about the experience of Star Wars being for the family. That it's really a family experience. You know, I've had people over the years come up, I'm showing this to my child at... You know, I didn't want to wait till they were six, so I went with five. And, and you watch your children watch the movie, and you learn something about your children. And will we like the same characters? And Halloween becomes kind of more of a Thanksgiving experience without the turkey. Um, but it's, I just, you see all these pictures of entire families dressed as the characters. And it's, I find that so moving. Sorry. But I do. It's just an amazingly emotional movie. Well, and making this even more of a family experience for Carrie Fisher is the fact that her daughter, Billy Lord, as we recently learned and was confirmed, does appear in the film. We don't know exactly what her role is, but we have seen images of her, and Carrie's daughter, Billy, is in the film. So 
It takes on a new meaning of family for Carrie Fisher. But new to the to the franchise now is Lupita Nyong'o, and Lupita is a very interesting interesting tale here. She plays Maz Kanata. Um, we don't know much about Maz. We do know that Maz is completely computer generated, which means that Lupita had to undergo an experience for the first time motion capture. I, I, playing a motion capture character, this was something completely new to me. And walking into a room, I, I had to do this thing where they had to take my picture from all directions at one time. And I had to stand in the middle and there was 360 cameras all around me. And that freaked me out. <laughs> and having, But the thing is, with motion capture, one thing that Lupita had uh, to her advantage is working with Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis is one of the preeminent motion capture guys in the world. Many of you may have heard me talk about it or write about it over the years uh, when motion capture was first starting before Peter Jackson started it with King Kong. Andy Serkis was at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention. Motion capture and green screen were just starting out, and he demonstrated. And at that point, it was a dot on each hand, maybe a dot on the foot, and one dot, one sensor on the head was how they captured uh, and I even tried out the motion capture at that point. It was fascinating. But since then, the technology has become such so that now you can have over 200 sensors on a body, there's now the Kabuki motion capture that came into play with Disney's Mars Needs Moms several years ago, where the face is essentially becomes a mask of Kabuki sensors. And uh, that's why with CGI now, you can get this photorealism. Uh, it's really, it's an outstanding, outstanding uh, method that you can use when it's appropriate. And creating a character in Star Wars, it certainly is. But J.J. Abrams had something to say about Lupita. Just listening to what Lupita was saying, uh, it just reminded me, people have said to me, uh, I don't understand, you, you cast someone so beautiful as Lupita, and then you had her be a motion capture character, and I think, would it be okay if she were ugly? Like, <laughs> what? And trust me, there have been some some people that have uh, actually made that comment. Why use a beautiful person to do motion capture? It's also about fluidity of movement and grace and elegance, all of which Lupita is. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back. We are in the process of waiting for either Timor or Marja to call. I'm not sure. We weren't sure which one would be calling in first. And I'm also messaging publicists since we seem to have a problem with some of them anymore. Um, with their talent, doesn't call promptly. Um, but let's get back to Star Wars. And Larry Kasdan. Larry Kasdan has a storied history with the franchise. He wrote Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Empire Strikes Back is the unequivocal best of the best when it comes to this franchise. He knows the world. And teaming up with J.J. Abrams, J.J. knows 
space galaxies from that little other franchise called, I think it's Star Trek. Um, so to have the two of them team up is very exciting. Uh, and Larry knows the history, the legacy, inside and out, having contributed to the two episodes, the, the two chapters in the franchise that predate where the new where the Force Awakens pick picks up. So, Larry Kasdan, you know, is there any kind of fear? What is you know any kind of trepidation about putting pen back to paper t- to pick up this story forty years later? Um, you know, I, I don't associate the process with fear. JJ and I um, jumped into the thing under a lot of time pressure, and we had fun. And, and in fact, the first day that we started real work on it, we said, you know, we must have fun with this every day. It's really a privilege, and uh, you have to be very lucky to get to write the next Star Wars and um, so we didn't really have fear. I think we had trepidation about fulfilling people's expectations, that they'd be satisfied with what we came out with. But we didn't want them to know what we were going to come up with, and we wanted that this moment that's coming up next week would be a, a fresh moment for the, you know, as many people in the world who were interested in it. So that's a, the only pressure is, can you do something that's worth that much anticipation? And everybody is on pins and needles. Waiting to see if Larry can live up to the build-up. But nothing would be complete on Star Wars without hearing from the man who's taken up the mantle, J.J. Abrams. And one of the most fascinating aspects of the film, from what we've all been able to see, is the costuming. Uh, My favorite is, hands down, Kylo Ren. My little Kylo Ren Disney Infinity character here. Um, and it is absolutely stunning, stunning up close and in person. But Kylo Ren's current costume wasn't always about Kylo Ren. And JJ does, uh, does some talking about Mark, uh, about costumer Mark Kaplan's work on the costumes. The, 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 the costume that was the most challenging, I think, for us to arrive at, and Michael Kaplan, the costume designer... Uh, I cannot wait for you to see what he's done in this movie. There are so many cool, many you have not seen uh, at all, uh, costumes that are are extraordinary. The the most difficult one was Kylo Ren, and we went through, I I don't know how many hundreds and probably thousands of of iterations and, and different versions. And one of the great things about that was, over the course of that, the costume for uh, Captain Phasma was designed that was actually pitched as a Kylo Ren costume originally and for story reasons it didn't make sense it didn't work but we suddenly realized oh my god this is one of the greatest looking costumes I've ever seen and and uh, he then she became one of my favorite uh, characters in the movie but the uh, the design of, of Kylo Ren was the most difficult one and when we finally saw the mask and that the beginning of that design it was really instantly clear that was the winner and uh i'm very grateful to uh michael and his whole amazing team and as you'll see uh, in the video this week and then when you see the film you know up close and personal i had a chance to see kylo ren's costume and captain phasma's costume and both 
are stunning. The face mask, the design of the face mask, which kind of looks a lot like what the new the exterior of the new Peterson Automotive Museum looks like here in Los Angeles, is it dazzles, it shines, it gleams. And Captain Phas- Phasma's costume, the entire costume, the entire costume is, it is all silver and it stuns. Uh, and I, I am a huge fan of what uh, Mark Kaplan has done in the past anyway. Um, but I think he's even outdone himself with this particular film. So, you know, who better to give us some final thoughts on what to expect from Star Wars this week than J.J. Abrams himself? Uh, I cannot wait for you to see the work that, that everyone on this couch uh, has has done uh, in the movie. Uh, the scariest day for me was when Harrison Ford was injured, um, which was uh, uh, just absolutely hideous. But the, the every day felt like there were challenges because I knew how important this was to so many people. And I, I that was never a... Uh, a presence that went away, and, and so every every decision I knew had this importance, and yet we had a day to make, we had a story to tell, and it was always about trying to do the best work possible. So we'll find out. I can't wait. I, for one, can't wait, and I only have to wait until tomorrow to see this. So I cannot wait, and I hope all of you go out. And in the meantime, you know, take advantage of all the cool merchandise. Have a lot of fun. Um, you know, Target. A great place if you just want to pick up some nickel dime, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars pencils for your kids, you know, these crayon packs and all. It's absolutely fabulous. Oh, and I have just been given a message here. We have the one and only Timor Beckmanmikoff. Hello, Timor. Hello. This is Debbie of Behind the Lens. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Thank you very much. Oh, I am so thrilled. When we talked earlier in the year about Unfriended, you know, you were hard, yes. at, hard at work in Italy. Everybody laughed at me because we did our phone interview in the middle of the night. I said, hey, yes. if it means talking to Timur at <laughs> 2 in the morning, I'm doing it. <laughs> so this is a treat. But, now, but, but I'm in Moscow, and it's, it's 10.30. Oh, my God. Hello. Okay, now <laughs> it's your turn to be up late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I am just, it, it's a thrill to have you join me, Timur. You know, you know how much Thank love you. I have for you and your work. And Thank you, I am so excited with what you're doing with Marge, Marja Lewis Ryan. People don't realize yes. how much you mentor these young people and these, and these up and coming filmmakers. And, you know, it's, it's veterans like you, the visionaries, that you're you're perpetuating the filmmaking line for decades to come, and I have seen I saw Marge's play One in the Chamber. Yes, I me too. It's how we how we met. Ah, oh, and amazing. So, how did you become involved with her new play, The A Good Family? And this is the one that's going to be made into a film that you're going to be executive producing. I- I hope so. I <laughs> I, I I will do uh, my best to to make it happen, uh, to make the movie. 
help her to make a movie uh, based on this play. Uh, I, I, she's, she is finishing the movie for for our company. It calls liked, mm-hmm. and it's a screen, screen capture comedy. Uh, the same language as Unfriended, but it's not scary movie. It's <laughs> very funny movie, and uh, and we and it's and we spent almost a year uh, working on this on this new uh, screen capture movie, and then she sent me this play, and I I really like the. I really like this, and mm-hmm. it's. And then we, she said that she wants to make a play, and I said that we will be happy to help her. And I think it's a great. We found a great uh, instrument, the great pipeline, how to develop projects because the play, uh, the play, is the best way how we can test the water mm-hmm. and just to. Uh, develop and uh, material. Is this the first time that you have jumped into the waters of stage of, of, no, of plays? No, 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 no. I'm I I was a stage designer for many years, and I studied uh, in eighties as a stage designer, as a stenographer. It's my it's my real fashion mm-hmm. <laughs> the stage uh, the stage and uh unfortunately I, I i missed the theater for many missing the theater for many years and it was kind of uh, a great great present for me that now, uh, now you're from, back from with her. theater <laughs> yes i said to her marja i want to be a stage designer she said no i have one <laughs> okay. How do you say no to you? How can anyone say no to you, Teamer? No, she, she, she yeah, no, <laughs> uh, she has a team, and I, uh, and and I really, I really like what she's doing, and I really like her writing, and I really like uh, how the balance, which is was really important for pe- for any theater, any any show, there's a balance between. Playfulness and and serious mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. because it's 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 very uh, uh, um, elegant the mm-hmm. writing which how she wrote it and directed. Well, and uh, something that I noticed with Marge's work with One in the Chamber, she keeps the project judgment free and lets the audience develop their own ideas and and positions on the issues yes. that, that she chooses because she picks these hot button issues to write about. Yes. Especially, especially with, uh, with a good family. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, uh, uh, edgy. It's extreme. because, yeah, because I think this problem is, has a lot of different contexts here yeah, and, and angles. And it's very contemporary. Mm-hmm. You know, and for, and very honest. 
you know, and for the audience, because um, I know some reviews are out, and so, so people do know the, the crux of the story. It's about a family on Christmas, and one of the sons, he gets accused, they, he gets accused of, of raping, raping someone. And all of this plays out in front of his family. And whether it yeah. and whether it's true, whether it's not, whether it's one of these, you know, misinterpretations, this is all unfolds in the play, and the audience gets to reach their own conclusions on many familial issues that that surrounds. Yeah, it's like it's 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 like a it's like a wake up call mm-hmm. for for all of us. Like the audience really feels it. That suddenly you watching this show, you 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 understand that how fragile is the world we live in. Mm-hmm. I mean, this comfortable world of the middle class America. Or, mm-hmm. or, I, I don't, I don't. It could be anywhere. It could be in France and England. And yeah, well, I mean, we're Russia. seeing we're seeing the fragility every single day. Something's happening somewhere, and that that's something that. You, as a filmmaker, your films always speak to a bigger picture. You know, day watch, night watch, they make you think. It takes you outside of the box. Even Wanted took you outside of the box. Um, Unfriended was a whole new way of storytelling that, you know, people had not really seen before. And I just, I, you know, I thought Unfriended was absolutely fabulous the way you played that out, everything within a computer screen and on cell phones. So I can't wait to see, you know, Liked. I can't wait to see what you and Marja have done with that film. Yes. Uh, and, and you asked me a question why I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, Experimenting and just mm-hmm. we're tra- collaborating with the young uh, filmmakers uh, and and writers. It's very very simple because it's a way how I can learn things from them. Because in, in our in our business is is very important to to to. To move forward, you know, mm-hmm. and to learn, and just to to to, to communicate with uh, with uh, with the uh, uh, with the young generation, with people, because it's our, they are our audience too. Mm-hmm. What? And I and I'm just I, I I feel I feel that every time when I work with with Marge or with Nelson, I learn. What do you think is is the biggest thing that you've learned from these younger filmmakers now? Uh, just about the 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 the, the, uh, the, the how responsible they are. <laughs> because I feel that we, our my generation, we were less responsible. We were less. Uh, 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 serious, let's say, about our life and our uh, destiny, or it's what I feel. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about myself, but I'm working with the young, with with a new generation uh, filmmakers. I really feel that they are much more. Uh, uh, how to say it? Uh, 
responsible. Mm-hmm. Like they they care. They care about what they how they live, what they're doing, and and maybe because of the social networks, people know it's just the whole world now is a small village. Everyone knows everyone, and maybe this what makes them uh, different and special. Mm-hmm. Well, I think by calling them responsible, I think you just made a whole generation of parents very, very happy because yeah. so many people don't think that their kids are responsible. But for you to no, see they... for you to see that, I think it gives parents hope for their own children. No, they they are they, they, because it's what I I think it's because of the social networks. Mm-hmm. You can't you cannot hide things anymore. Yeah. You cannot uh, pretend that you you are not aware of bad things happening around the world, mm-hmm. and and it, and also uh, they they have a they see what's happened with us with the world today today's world and they feel that they should fix something mm-hmm. they should fix this mm-hmm. they must fix this. Well, now I have to ask you, T. I'd be very remiss not to ask you about what's happening with Ben Hur. I know you're in post production. Uh, yes. Um, Is there anything you can working. tell us? You're working. Uh, yes, we are working on the on the visual effects and uh, sound and polishing the cut. It's 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 an interesting process. It's a very, very creative and very, very, uh, it's very unusual movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate, I really appreciate the, the patient and, and, uh, and, 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 and the, uh, uh, how much studio wants to make it right. Mm-hmm. How much producers and wants to make it right. Well, you're, you've taken on <laughs> something of Herculean proportion because Ben-Hur is such a legendary and beloved piece of cinema. Yes. And I hope we will we will uh, uh, give audience new and 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 very classy at the same uh, uh, movie at the same time. Well, I know one thing I noticed I didn't realize before that Roma Downey and Mark Burnett are on board yes. as producers. And I know yes. and I know how particular Roma is in getting involved in projects that that do hearken to the Bible and to religion. So to me, you already have you have one kind of seal of approval and stamp on this project by having Roma and Mark on board. And I think a lot of the religious communities now are going to be very interested in seeing the film beyond the the normal audience. Yes, and it's a responsibility for us <laughs> too. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a movie. It, it's 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 a movie with a message and with a. It's not. I don't think it's religious movie mm-hmm. i think it's there it's a, it's a it's a human 
this very human, humanistic st- book in the in this in the story. In, in the movie, based and uh, uh, tonally, very much based on the uh, original book. Oh, good. Where 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 the idea of forgiveness was is a core of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I for one and and. And 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 I really, I really enjoying to work with Mark and Roma. They're very smart, and first of all, they're professionals because we know how uh, how successful they are in the TV world and how how uh, experienced they are to communicate with a huge TV audience. Mm-hmm. And it helps because it. It makes them brave and sharp, and be, being and, and they can make decisions, and it, which is really important for producers. And they can let you concentrate on directing the film. Yes, <laughs> Timor. Yes. Thank you so much for thank you. for joining thank me. Thank you. Always a pleasure, and I can't wait to talk to you and, and hopefully see you next year for Ben Hur. I I am sure <laughs> we should meet some, one day. We should we should in person figure out how to yes to meet in person. We will. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. 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 Okay. Well, that is the first. We got a call from Moscow. So, Timur Beckman Batov. So we're going to take a short break. We don't know what's happened to. Our writer-director, Marja Lewis Ryan. But don't worry, we have plenty of clips on some critic-nominated uh, films like Trumbo. So we'll be back after this short message. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City. Covering local news, politics, and community events with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, MovieSharkDeBlore.com. You can find me in print. You can find me online. You can find me here every Monday live on AdrenalineRadio.com and AdviceRadio.com with Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line. And if you're listening today, you just heard... Timur Bekmanbatov calling in from Moscow, uh, talking about mentoring Marja Lewis Ryan and her project, A Good Family. Heard a little bit about Ben Hur and a little bit about how working with younger talent, you know, influences Timur as accomplished as he is. So, and yes, we will hear more from Timur next year uh, before uh, when we start the press for uh, Ben Hur, which I can't wait for. But right now, while we're waiting to see if Marja Lewis Ryan calls in, 
Um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, started talking about Point Break and my discussions with Erickson Core about having four second unit directors, the various disciplines, each specializing in some of the extreme sport disciplines. But a big question that has come up involving Point Break is GoPros. And a lot of people are under the impression that GoPros were used in filming the new Point Break, which opens on Christmas Day and which you really do have to see. Um, There aren't any GoPros used, but GoPros play an important part in how this film came to be. Here's what Erickson had to say about that. We didn't use GoPros at all in the film because the quality of them was not good enough for the big screen that we wanted to do. But it is interesting that when I would look at action films, and there's wonderful action films that are out there and very successful from Marvel on through, but it's pretty clear that what's happening in those films is not real. When someone gets thrown through a building or a car drives from one to another, you realize that the sense of peril and the sense of reality isn't there, which is fine for entertainment, but the authenticity and the sense of real peril isn't there. Uh, when I was researching much of this, looking at the GoPro footage, also produced by Jeb and Chris and Xavier Del Rue and the others in the film, you know that it's real, and there is an intensity to that, and so the authenticity of what GoPro has brought out there in allowing athletes to bring the most extraordinary things to bear uh, was very important to us, and so we had that mentality in terms of going light and small and getting it, the cameras exactly in those positions, but instead of our uh, cameras being tiny, uh, the lightest we had was 15 pounds uh, to get a proper motion picture camera with a red camera with a proper lens that was flown at 140 miles an hour uh, in a nylon suit through a crack in Switzerland <laughs> or on waves, so we used our version of it. So that mentality was important as, as far as the authenticity of it, but we took it to a larger cinematic level. Yeah, GoPro and the YouTube channel, it's um, one of my favorite YouTube channels that I watched. It, it just opened you up to a world of absolute authenticity, as you say, and, and it's really given it to the world. I mean, YouTube uh, by itself is, is opened the world up to a lot of people, but, but yeah, now that we have that, people, if you're gonna do these stunts, these sports, people have seen what it actually looks like. So you've got to do it right, otherwise they're going to call it. And um, yeah, I think Andrew said that the, said that the courage to do it was uh, phenomenal. That's one of the big reasons I wanted to be a part of the movie was my love of sports and my love of extreme sports, my love of surfing, and the fact that we were going to treat them all, treat them all with the utmost respect. And uh, yeah, I feel that was really important and something that because of GoPro, the world now does treat extreme sports with a bit more respect than a bunch of, I don't know, Maybe people used to think they were pimply teenagers riding skateboards. <laughs> it's a bit more real than that, and I think this movie shows up. Just, just to that point, I don't know if it's interesting, but uh, we had a huge GoPro itself actually presented a huge challenge because you have because the kids are so used to seeing the GoPro images and these point of view perspectives that are for real. Ericsson, of course, and and the whole movie in general wanted to capture that. So for us in, in the surf, we literally had. Uh, what's called a Red Epic, which is quite a quite a heavy camera. Um, it's the smallest we could get. That we we, we, we custom made a a, a a camera camera lens to be in a water housing, and then we had to get two guys inside the tube at Chopu, which is a deadly wave on its own. I remember talking to the surfers and going, "So you want us to hold on to this and go into the tube and have two guys inside the tube holding on to this?" I said, "Yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do." And uh, I had a uh, Bruce. I said, Bruce Irons is one of the best guys at Chopu. It was just like, you are kidding me. He's like, is it, is it okay if I, I drop it or I let it go? I said, yeah, it's perfect. Just, just try and get the shot and we'll get it back. He's like, you're joking, right? I was like, yeah. And 
and he's, in, and, he's in, and he's inside the barrel and he throws this camera away, which is like, I think all, all parts included, it's like a hundred and something thousand dollars. And I, went, I remember looking at it and just went up inside the tube and he's like upside down inside it going over the falls with the camera and he goes straight down at the bottom of the, of the wave and then all the camera crew, like we had all these safety guys and they're running in to find the camera. We did it four times and we had like a, like a life jacket around the camera and it comes popping up. It was like popping up. Everyone, like every Tahitian, we're out there, we run around, get the camera, get the camera, because we had bonuses. We had bonuses, we had bonuses built in if you got the camera back. I never got to work on a crew where we had bonuses if you got a camera back. Um, but we started hearing from Erickson Core director and cinematographer Luke Bracey jumped in there to talk about GoPros because he is part really part of the GoPro generation and then wrapping that up was Phil Boston one of the four second unit directors and Phil Boston his big specialty is surfing he has he's done chasing mavericks uh in the past known for so many uh commercials and sporting and sporting footage all with surfing so I, I find it very entertaining that they actually built a little life jacket for the camera and the lens to protect it. Point Break will be out in theaters on Christmas Day, and it truly is the biggest adrenaline rush you will ever experience on film. See it in 3D. If you have vertigo, do not go see this movie. I'm telling you right now, because you will see Luke Bracey, Edgar Ramirez, hanging off of Angel Falls, 3,000 feet in the air. They're at the very top of Mont Blanc in Switzerland. And it is them standing there. Granted, when the actual execution of some of the extreme sports begins, then the extreme sport athletes step in. But, no, they had to be there as well for the energy, for the emotional purposes, and the authenticity that Erickson and all of them involved in this project wanted um, because of that that authenticity factor and with so many eyes on the sports so it is one of my favorite films of the year it is quite possibly it is definitely in my top five action films uh, so those of you diehard point break fans of Catherine Biglow's Patrick Swayze Keanu Reeves version do not be disheartened trust me I hate remakes so when I find remakes that I really like, that's that says a lot. Go see Point Break on Christmas. Another movie to see on Christmas is going to be The Hateful Eight. But we're going to talk about Hateful Eight next week uh, because I have I spent seven hours doing below-the-line interviews with costume, hair, makeup, sound, uh, production design, and... What when what goes into the Hateful Eight to make the beautiful lensing in 70 millimeter ultra Panavision so special? You're going to hear about it here. And an interesting little tidbit for you, having just had Timor, and Timor uh, has finished shooting Ben-Hur uh, over in Italy and is now in post-production, the original Ben-Hur... The lenses that were actually used to shoot the infamous, the famous chariot race with Charlton Heston, those very lenses were used to shoot the Hateful Eight. So there is our little two degrees of separation for today. 
But let's move on. And Trumbo. Trumbo finally has been picking up uh, some more attention. Helen Mirren has been getting more attention than anybody else with Trumbo. Cran Brian Cranston, who plays Dalton Trumbo, is finally uh, getting his due with some notoriety with some of the critics' associations. But one of the, the great things, uh, I had a chance to talk to Jay Roach uh, in an exclusive sit-down one-on-one about the film. And a few weeks ago, you heard a little bit about what Jay was talking about, uh, what his considerations for bringing the world of a McCarthy-era Hollywood to life uh, and with the Hollywood 10 and what Dalton Trumbo and the rest of, of people were undergoing at that time during the Red Scare and the blacklisting. So let's go back and... Hear Jay wrote, director Jay Roach talk a little more about yesterday and today because it, the film is as politically and socially relevant today as when the events occurred back in the 1950s. You know, I it's think so relevant. It's about this that period, but it's also about today because if you compare the fear of totalitarian communism, which was real, it was mm -hmm. I mean the threat was real. Yeah. Uh, to the fear of terrorists today, um, and obviously that's real. The mm -hmm. terrorism is a threat. But if you look at how politicians, uh, journalists, uh, people who have an agenda use fear to uh, extrapolate to some inner threat to mm -hmm. people that you know, uh, people you want to accuse of of being unpatriotic or less less tapped into the fear than you are. So therefore, they're they're less American. They're un-American. You know, I remember politicians saying, "We're the real Americans." Uh, in the last election, you know, that use of fear happens in history all the time. And, and I think, if I hope, if the film does anything, it'll never change anything. But I hope it just gets people to ask, "Am I being manipulated by something mm -hmm. that's you know sort of related to what you know what I'm being asked to to do, or a change in opinion I'm being asked to make?" Or, or is this is this authentic? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it's a spell. You know, it's kind of like a spell that gets cooked up mm -hmm. with the same ingredients. History, uh, you know, mo same moments mm -hmm. in history. Uh, same ingredients, different moment in history, uh, time and time again. Well, and many of those moments in history come to life in Trumbo are the performances. As I mentioned, Brian Cranston is flawless as Dalton Trumbo, uh, and Helen Mirren as gossip monger Hedda Hopper. Hedda Hopper would, you know, because of social media, we don't really have that today. But but because and because of the so much diversity in the media and with the press. But back in the 50s, Hedda Hopper actually ruled with an iron fist because newspapers were your source of information. God bless newspapers. Um, and she had 32 million readers. So when you had 32 million of the American population reading what she wrote, she had clout, she had control, and Helen Mirren really brings that to life. But when you're a director and you're trying to recapture or reinvent, reimagine, and create this the essence of what transpired, what was true fact, Casting and performance is very key and important to a director. And here's what Jay had to say about the actors and channeling the performances of the real-life characters. 
I think of it as channeling. I talk about it as like you have to channel. You can't. You have to let them take over your body, your persona, so that there's enough overlap uh, between that real life iconic person. Because Mm -hmm. if it's just an impersonation, you know. That, I love watching great impersonators. Mm-hmm. I loved watching Tina Fey do Sarah Palin. Yeah. But I also loved what Julianne Moore did for, mm-hmm. for Game Change. In this case, you know, to do John Wayne, uh, to do John Wayne, like in a, in a sense of impersonating him, would have been a disaster because I needed an actor who would help give me access to what it might have actually felt like off camera, off stage, mm-hmm. to be facing off against Hedda Hopper. John mm-hmm. Wayne was tough on, on these guys too, but... Hedda was much tougher. Yeah. She, she, if, if Hedda Hopper, once a commie, always a commie. She, Hedda, Hedda had a personal she was, agenda. She had a personal agenda. And she, you know, even Charlie Chaplin, she basically got him deported and mm-hmm. fought her whole life to keep him out of the United States and said even right before she died, I hope you don't let Chaplin ever back in the country. But to pl- to let people play, and Edward G. Robinson, Michael Stuhlbart also mm-hmm. are playing a, a, a known, iconic guy. Mm-hmm. By the way, that story is so heartbreaking because... He can't escape, you know. I know. And I love that, the complexity of that. And going hand in hand with performance, especially in a period piece, as we just heard in an earlier clip, J.J. Uh, Abrams talking about the costuming in Star Wars. Well, costuming and production design is important in Trumbo as well. Uh, Daniel Orlandi is costume designer, uh, and Mark Ricker is production designer, and hand-in-hand, their work is stunning. So how do you capture this world and make it feel as lived-in and as authentic as the story that actually unfolded? You know, Daniel, I've worked with so so often. We, we just, we, we're like twins who speak a language only twins understand. You know, I can, Daniel is so instantaneously on it. He'll, the whole, hundreds of background people will show up and every single one is what I was hoping for, you know. And, and Mark, I've only worked, uh, that, that was the first time I've worked with Mark, but now I'm doing a second film with him on uh, the LBJ movie. Mm-hmm. What amazing taste and and uh, what he's accomplishing on the budgets to to get the cinematic scope and the kind of um, just the the yeah the, the evoke the period in in all of its grandeur the, mm-hmm. those scenes with Hedda in the in the American Legion with the red and uh, and, and that beautiful those, that beautiful restaurant where Kirk Douglas mm-hmm. uh, confronts Hedda and Stripling and um, the party I mean they're the mixture of the design elements, which again all served the stories, evoked the period, mm-hmm. but they were also um, remind you how beautiful <laughs> some of the design yeah. elements were back then. We don't, we don't, I don't think ever about you know finding a, the the kind of line that the closed trumbo would wear or or a head hopper would wear, but my crew is really devoted. I- and for those of you that haven't seen Trumbo yet, yes, definitely. Go see it. This is another costuming gem. Uh, you'll be hearing me talk about in the coming weeks after the first of the year as we start kick off year two of Behind the Lens. Uh, I've done talked to all the below-the-line talent on Carol as well. And uh, one of my favorite costumers on there uh, is Sandy Powell. So we're going to hear what Sandy has to say uh, we got a lot more uh, behind the lens, below the line stuff in the new year for you. Next week, Eddie Jameson uh, will be here talking about the King of Herrings. And 
We'll see what other surprises and hateful eight next week. Until then, behind the lens. Yeah.